we recently crossed 25 million registered users and a million pro subscribers. That was back in January. We announced that and internally, you know, we see a clear line of sight to 100 million registered users, 10 million pro subscribers. But honestly, we're talking about what does this platform look like with a billion people on it? Can we get there in the next 10 years? And what does that need to look like? So it's all driven by growth. Why do some companies succeed in driving growth while others fail? How do some individuals advance in their careers to lead teams that change industries? In the age of mobile, these are the stories of the companies shaping the way we interact with our world and the people who drive their growth. Hi, everyone. We are thrilled to have our next guest today, Ron Schneiderman, who is currently the CEO of All Trails, where he spent the past six years helping grow the company, which is now one of the top five health and fitness apps in the App Store and Google Play. Before joining All Trails, Ron led the growth teams at Yelp and co-founded Diftopia, the global leader of lift ticket bookings. Welcome to the show, Ron. I'm so excited to have you. Thanks for having me. I am a, an avid user of All Trails. I didn't used to be. I am probably like a year old as a user. <laughs> and it's been really helpful for me throughout the pandemic. I started taking hiking very seriously. I have a dog. It's really hard to like figure out anywhere else if like trails are dog friendly. And so I depend so much on all trails. So I'd love to hear the background. How did you guys start? How's, how has the past, how has your growth been? How has the past year been for you and your team? Yeah. So all trails has been around since 2010. And just to be clear, I didn't start it. I took over from the original founder in 2015. So he had kind of, he kind of launched it and grown it as a side project for a while. And right around when it started getting traction, this was back in the you know SEO days. So we built a really impressive SEO engine. And in late 2014, early 2015, he launched the mobile apps. And right when it was starting to take off, he got an opportunity to go be an exec at another high-flying food delivery company. And he wanted to hand it over. And so I knew him from my days in Liptopia. Outdoor tech is pretty small. We all kind of know each other. And I was so excited to jump back into something small, but not have to do it from scratch. You know, that was one of the things I realized yeah. after doing Lyft. I'm not a zero to one guy. That's not my happy place at all. And so the opportunity to come in, something that had a, a little bit of traction, some clear product channel fit, some inklings of product market fit, I jumped at it. And, uh, you know, we were a six person company uh, when I took it over. Super small, super square. And it was a cleanup job for sure. You know, we were just, triage a different area of the funnel every quarter you know one quarter we're going to tackle sign up rates and one quarter we're going to tackle pro conversion one one quarter we'll tackle churn but we kind of we stayed lean we gutted it out and in late 2017 we we hit profitability and that was a big point of pride we did it without raising any any money and we've that's saved profitable awesome. since then. yeah right it's such a that's anomaly so cool. it's an anomaly in our space <laughs> totally yeah and we've just been kind of growing it from there you know it's been a ton of fun i'm imagining the last year you guys probably saw a lot of growth i definitely joined and i actually like first used it for free then i became a paid subscriber how have you seen, you know, what, what, how was COVID for you in general? I'm imagining good, but I'd love to hear from you. Yeah, it, it was crazy. I, and I'm sure every single one of your guests, if, if asked the same thing, has said that has had the same response. It was crazy. We came into 2020 with, I think, 28 heads. We were still small and, you know, really focused on just like steady organic growth. Mid-March, the whole 
kind of machine ground to a halt, right? When the World Health Organization declared the global pandemic, you know, no one was out hiking and mountain biking and backpacking, right? Everyone was scared that your dog could give you COVID, right? Or the air could give you COVID. Um, <laughs> yeah. I remember, you know, like I'm sure like a lot of people like bringing, you know, a ton of hand sanitizer out there when you're just opening those trail gates. Cause you're like, am I going to get COVID from this? It was crazy. And then the lockdowns happened and we kind of placed a bet. We placed a bet. We said, you know, there's some short-term headwinds right now. This is not a new normal. I have three kids and a dog too, right? So, so my family and I were also thinking like, what is this summer going to be like? We had to cancel all of our family vacations. We started canceling the summer camp or the summer camps got canceled on us, right? And then we were looking out at the summer. It's like, there's going to be nothing to do but hike this. I'm like, that's the only way we're all going to stay sane and not, you know, tear each other apart. I have the kids bouncing off the wall. There's going to be nothing to do. That's going to be the only like outlet. And if we're feeling this way, you know, I'm sure millions, hundreds of millions of people around the globe are feeling the same way. And so we said, you know what? Like, even if the business has kind of slowed dramatically, it's short term and we're going to, we're going to swim through the, the whitewater here. We're going to start hiring. We were able suddenly in a very short amount of time to get access to talent that I don't think we would have had ever had access to just a couple months prior, right? All these A-list tech companies all around us were shedding folks trying to reduce costs. And we said, you know, we're going to, we're going to go get them. And so we started beefing up the team. We started uh, increasing the cadence of outbound communications and email frequency. We started ramping up paid spend. And then right in May, um, when the lockdown started easing up, we kind of resettled on this like new normal, our business shot out like a cannon. And uh, it was, it was triple digit growth. I think it was, you know, again, it was just a ton of people like you who maybe, you know, whether or not you ever spend any time outside as a kid or not, I think a lot of people were recognizing the value that time outside could play during such a stressful, crazy, chaotic time, right? And it's not just like a physical health thing. It was like the the mental health aspects, the emotional health aspects, just giving people a sense of normalcy or a sense of calm, even for a little bit. I think that was a huge driver of it. And, and it's maintained, you know, like the, for us, COVID was an acceleration of a trend that we had been seeing for years, which is this collective reawakening to the awesomeness of spending time outside. And it's, again, it's like this, this global phenomenon that's happening. And we're just trying to, we're just trying to kind of capture that. And stay as, as far in front of it as we possibly can. I love that. How do you think about growth today? You know, you're, you're over 1 million subscribers, 25 million registered users. Those are very impressive numbers. What is growth for you? Is it news or acquisition? Is it like reengaging and, and keeping users? How do you think about like the different stages of growth and what do you focus on most now? Even though I'm currently CEO at Altrails, I still consider myself a growth guy. Love it. Yeah, so that's that's in my that's in my blood. I, I, so I, I think of growth holistically, right? Full funnel growth. It's not just top of the funnel. You know, top of the funnel sometimes is outside of your control, even right. And that's been a we can talk about that. Later. This year has been crazy as a, like a red hot economy and world's kind of opening up, kind of not. You know, the challenges to get users' attention like that's a really interesting challenge right now. But you know what we can control. That's what I like to focus on, right? So it's going to be stuff like sign up rates pro-conversion rates, churn rates, rates of UGC contribution. That's a big part. We have a flywheel-driven business. And so really thinking through what drives the flywheel, new user activation. You know, there's a ton of different ways that we that we look through this, uh, that we look at 
our funnel and and again like what drives growth We're, we've been spending a lot of time lately talking about viral loops and how we can better leverage the the strength of our community to go out and accelerate our rate of growth and what's been really fun for us is you know, we're building a global brand and a global platform. What we were talking about during COVID and this need to get outside, this need for the holistic health benefits of, of time outside, that's not just, you know, for North America. We we're, were seeing the same same things, you know, popping up in, in the UK and France and Germany and Spain and South Africa and Israel and Latin America. So we've been focusing a lot of time and energy internally on scaling up growth abroad. Right. And that's that's been a really interesting thing. How do you kind of solve for the cold start problem when you don't have UGC in certain markets? Right. So, yeah, this is uh, it's very much top of mind. We, we've been, uh, you know, like you said, we, we, we recently crossed 25 million registered users and a million pro subscribers. That was back in January. We announced that and internally, you know, we, we see a, a clear line of sight to 100 million registered users, 10 million pro subscribers. But honestly, we're talking about what does this platform look like with a billion people on it? Wow. Right? How, can we get there in the next 10 years? And what does that need to look like? So it's all driven by growth. I love the ambition. It's, it's very inspiring. How do you think about, do you have some examples for exa- of the growth loops, for example, that you're, you're talking about? Either that you've tested and worked well or that you're thinking of testing? Yeah. Yeah, we have, there's, there's quite a few. There's quite a few. So for us, the heartbeat of all trails is our trail content. Right, everything starts with trail content. We can't go into a new market if we don't have some kind of critical mass of of trail content, trail density there. And it's an inexact science. It's hard knowing like what. There's no preset denominator and say, okay, there are, you know, this many hundred thousand trails in France, and so we need to cross this threshold together. There's kind of you sort of put some rough calculations together based off of like land mass and population, whatever. So a lot of a lot of the loops start with that. We kind of have our own first party data and there's third party data and there's a ton of AI and ML and human ops that we've built on top of it. Again, this is the heartbeat of all trails and then that's just the starting point though, you know, and and, and we it's centralized. It is, you know, so we we have boots on the ground across the world, but for the most part it's centralized through our core system. So then then the question is like how can we fine-tune it as quickly as possible. What are the different feedback loops that we can create, whether explicit or implicit also? There's both like passive and active feedback loops that we've been able to create where our users help curate our content in the instance where we do get it wrong. You know, maybe we say something is dog-friendly, but it's not dog-friendly. Or, I mean, even at a bigger level, trails trails are fluid. You know, they're not like roads, right? Like they're yeah. they're constantly in flux, whether it's fires, whether it's floods, whether it's maintenance, whether it's development, it's never static, even like year to year, it's not static. And so really thinking through, again, the different feedback loops that we need in order to get those as accurate as humanly possible. And then what we do with that trail content. So again, if, if it's like, if we're a storefront, if we're a marketplace, that's kind of like the supply. Our trail content is the, the stuff on the shelf. And then what we do is we try and flood it with UGC. And I think that's what makes all trails really unique. It's that combination of curated content coupled with, you know, really relevant recent UGC so that you can get that real-time feedback on like, you know, this is flooded out or it's muddy here, it's kind of bugs right now, stay away. And that's, again, like really built on this continual process of growth and optimization and, and, and feedback loops with our users. How do we extract maximum UGC. And how does that differ by country? There's different motivations in different countries. 
whether people want to do it to help the community, whether people want to do it, you, you know what I mean? Like, so just really trying to tap into the motivations kind of at a cultural level as well has been really fascinating. So opening up again, more, more feedback loops, more ways of listening to our users out there and really trying to understand like the nuance and the dynamics of the market and then how to kind of fine tune strategy based off of that. I love it. How about like re-engaging and bringing people back into the app? How do you think about that? Is it just, you know, when people are thinking about new trails or are there any like notifications on things that you're playing with to remind people to go on hikes, to come back to the app? We still tread lightly when it comes to push notifications. I, we all know there's more we can do, but we'd kind of rather err on the side of not being annoying than being overly aggressive. But we are starting to really dive into personalization and mm. curation. And so we do, for example, now like a curated monthly email of trails we think that you'll like. So if we know, mm. for example, Mata loves dog-friendly trails that are between three and six miles long, we can surface all of the trails near you that you haven't done or have done, but maybe not for a while. So we're trying to, we're, we're investing a lot of energy on that. I think that's super exciting. One, I'd say kind of strategic advantage we have is uh, because we've been around so long, because we're old, is our, our legacy SEO strength. And we're able to leverage SEO as a re-engagement technique, you know, because... That's cool. Yeah, right? So like the app is by far the best form factor for all trails, without a doubt. The location services and everything else, it's just, it's the best. But we all know, I mean, how many apps does anyone really use or, or keep top of mind at any given time? Like the phone can be kind of a black box sometimes. And so we are able to parlay our SEO strength into as, as a re-engagement channel and deep link you back into the app just from directly from the SERP or use, you know, branch journeys to get people back into the app. So that's actually been a really great driver of re-engagement for us. I think sometimes people maybe forget they have the app and we're able to get them right back in there. It's like, oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. This is pretty cool. Love it. And when you think about like the things that are top of mind in terms of metrics and things that like matter a lot to you, what are the top metrics that you look at every day? Or every week? I've definitely come to appreciate, I don't like looking at daily metrics. They're too, they're too noisy. And I'd, I'd much rather have a longer view. So I tend to look at things. I, there's a weekly health check, but I, I like looking at things monthly. We have a very seasonal business. In a normal non-COVID world, it, it looks like a bell curve with summer, uh, the summer months being peak utilization. We follow the sunlight. It, it, it kind of makes sense. Yeah. Last year, last year, it was basically like, you know, we saw the upslope in April, May, and then it kind of like just kept going up into the right. It never came back down. Even through the winter, uh, utilization was on par with summer. And we've seen that trend continue into this year. And so wow. that's been a little bit strange. So we tend to, because of the seasonality, or at least the habits around how we've historically looked at this business, we tend to look at things year over year by month, right? That's kind of like the core view that we have. Because even on a weekly basis, there's noise, there's micro seasonality, you know, compare a weekend to midweek, or how, you know, the, the date lined up, was it on the weekend last year versus this year. So from a monthly view, though, it kind of all washes out. And that tends to be sort of the, the best health check for us. Now, the crazy part is when we're lapping, the you know, the, the craziest comps we've ever seen in our company's history, which is, again, the growth rates in 2020. And then how do you sort of normalize or account for that and, you know, get that sort of like holistic health view beyond just, you know, that year over year by month framework. We're, we're doing like two-year CAGR stuff now, which I, I didn't go to business school. So this is all new to me, but 
you know, it's just different ways of trying to like, just, is it working? Are we moving in the right direction? And then same with some of the, the new countries too. It is a different set of metrics than we'll look at from a, a mature market framework. So yeah, kind of always kind of changing this up, figuring this out as we, as we go along. I think it's just really interesting. And I, it's just interesting to think of like, you know, the seasonality, but like COVID has changed everything. I'm curious to see if like this year we stay the same, if people will like actually build the habits and now we'll go on more or will they go back to life before? Yeah. I think it's, you'll have such interesting data into human behavior. Like last year, for example. So, so pre-COVID, again, it was like a U curve, right? So over the course of year, it's a bell curve. If we look at it on a weekly basis, it's a U curve with Sunday and Saturday being peaks. Then then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday tending to be troughs. Once COVID hit and people were trading in their commutes for work from home, the shape of the curve changed completely. It remained flat. Wow. People were trading their commutes for hikes. And it was so cool to see because we could also see a time of day. And you'd see it during the commute hours. You'd see it in the morning before work or in the evening before sunset after work, right? Yeah. This year, we are starting to see the world come back online. People are starting to you know, commute back into work. And so we're seeing that weekly distribution curve sh- shift a little bit overall consumption is actually higher than it was last year, which is great. And this is what, this is something I'm very, very grateful for is we don't need to be a daily app, you know, yeah. we're not, and I mean, we don't even need to be a weekly app. Not, there are very few people who are able to actually hike every single week, myself included. I have three kids and life is getting hectic again. So as the world opens back up and kind of comes back online, from our perspective, it's all good. Even as people start traveling again, People shift from from local exploration to international or or at least you know across the country exploration as people go back to the gyms, uh, as people start commuting again. Again, we're seeing like at a micro level consumption pattern change, but at that monthly view and beyond, all of the, the core metrics we look at, conversion rate is higher than it's ever been, churn rate is lower than it's ever been. You know, like these are all still moving in the right direction. I think it's because people are able to integrate this reconnection with nature into their daily habits. You know, again, it doesn't need to be daily. It doesn't even need to be weekly. But when you yeah. do go on that trip to Hawaii, maybe instead of kicking it at the beach every single day, you'll try and get a hike or two in with your family. You know, there's these little subtle shifts that, that are starting to take root. And I, I think that once you're kind of awakened to them, once it's kind of like become part of your life and you realize, I feel better when I spend time outside, you just figure out how to layer it in. in. Right. And so, yeah, it's been um, it's been really cool to see. It's been really cool. I love it. One question that I always ask is, you know, tell me about some of your favorite campaigns and then maybe some things that you tried that really failed. Sure. (laughs) I think the stories are usually people can learn a lot from stories from other people. So maybe a story of success and one of failure. Sure. I like the stuff that doesn't scale. I think that's always fun. So you know, we we're talking, you have a dog, you you appreciate that we have dog friendly tags on all of our trails. It's so hard. Like Google is wrong a lot. You guys are not. It's really good. So this data set didn't exist until we, we did it. And so in, I think it was either 2016 or 2017, we decided, you know, it would be really cool if we could get every trail in North America to start to have a tag, whether it's dog friendly and even differentiate whether dog on leash or dog off leash or, or no dogs allowed. And so I did this. I, we had one of our, I think, seven employees at the time. 
her name's Christina. I was like, Christina, like, do you got anyone who can help me with this? And she's like, yeah, my senior prom date is working in a bike shop in Montana and he's got time on his hand. So like, I'll give him a call. So me and this guy, Eddie, we're just like, all right, we're going to divide and conquer. Exported a list of the, I don't know, 35,000, 40,000 trails we had on the platform at the time. And we went through them one by one, one by one. Oh my God. Yeah. And straight up. So if it was tied to a park, I try and go to the park's website. Oftentimes I'd have to call the park up and be like, Hey, are dogs allowed in your park or not? <laughs> and it was like the most, oh. it, was in, it was insane. It was the craziest thing, you know, and it took us a couple months. And I, you know, I'm doing this on top of like every other, you know, day-to-day task that I had at the company at the time, but we made it work. We made it work. And, um, you know, and then by the end of it, we had this like really, really cool data set that are, you know, we didn't, we didn't get a hundred percent of it right, right out of the gate. But again, those feedback loops that we built up, our users got on board. They were really excited about it. They were helping us out. We have ways that they can contribute content to you. And so they were jumping. It was great. It was really cool. That was one of my favorite things that we've done, just standing up a completely new proprietary data set in a vacuum. <laughs> I will tell you that that's the thing that got me on all trails. I think I was looking at like things on Google. I started realizing they were wrong. And then I think I remembered a friend just all trails and I realized that they had a dog tag. And I was like, now I'm sold. Like, that's the only thing I use. So... I'm sure there's other people like me, but it's so cool to hear the story of that, how that came to be. I think it's... This is why I love working here, because I, I love spending time outside. And I have a dog, and I know how hard it is yeah. to figure out where to go. And I know what a bummer it is when you drive to a trailhead, and then you see the doe dog sign. Oh my God. It's yeah. it, It'll ruin your day, especially if you, you drive far, right? And so it's one of those things, like as a user, I just wanted for myself. And I figured, you know, if I want it, I'm sure other people yeah. will probably find this thing pretty cool too. And that's that's been one of the most fun parts of working here too. It's just, you know, going out with your friends or hearing hearing from random people, like there's no shortage of unsolicited feedback that people <laughs> will find me on LinkedIn just to tell me product ideas or whatever. And it's great though. It's fun because it's not well, it's not rocket science what we're doing. Yeah. You know, we're just trying to help people spend more time outside. That's it. And there's a lot of different ways to do that and a lot of different use cases out there. How about the failed? campaign there yeah there's been a ton <laughs> there's been a ton you know one of my like the running jokes with yeah, in growth you know is like how frequently we can get our hypotheses like we'll always place bets on which variant we think will win and like somehow we're wrong like 80 percent of the time right like we never get it right and that's why you test and that's what's great about testing but it's always shocking to see how wrong our hypothesis, at least my hypotheses tend to be. So we've had a ton of failures there, you know, I don't know, back in like 2017 or 2018, I thought it would be really a great driver of pro conversion if we did a 30 day money back guarantee and was like, mm. boom, big badge. It didn't do anything. It actually like pulled down conversion rate. Why? I don't know why. I don't know why, but it was not, did not drive conversion rate. There's been no shortage of things like that. Cool. How about mobile? You talked a lot about like how important the app is, but you guys get a lot of like traffic from SEO. And how do you think about like converting people to the app and getting them to download the app since it really enhances the experience? Yeah, yeah. So like I said earlier, the native apps are by far the best form factor for all trails. And that that is where we see the strongest mid to low funnel engagement and 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 conversion. And so we know that we need to drive as many people into the apps as possible. So in like 2017, 2018, 
our, our product channel fit has historically been SEO. That's what got us. Like when I stepped in the door, that's what got me there. We have this amazing SEO engine and, and, and we knew that we, I didn't want to build a, a platform on something we can't control. There's always that fear there, right? And you see yeah. you know, all the companies that tried building businesses on like the Facebook newsfeed and then Facebook changes their algorithm. It's like, okay, now we're out of business. So there's always been that double-edged sword component with SEO. And so we're trying to, you know, we want to own the touch points as much as we can. And so doing stuff like taking our, our SEO expertise and really diving, you know, applying that into ASO, that's been an ongoing focus, like very excited about some of the gains that we've had there and expanding that globally. So turning ASO into a global growth strategy, you know, and, and paid acquisition is another one. It's still less than 10% of our overall growth, but it's just a way we can kind of diversify and move the needle a little bit. So, you know, getting that a little bit more fine-tuned. PR and word of mouth has also been great. You know, we want we want to build a brand. We want to be associated. When you think about going outside, we want that association to be all trails. And so from like a brand competition perspective, it's not necessarily, you know, some of the other competitors in our category in the app store. I don't really spend any time kind of thinking through that. It's more, you know, I tend to focus inward. But it is, you know, I, I want us to... I would prefer, you know, people think about all when, when you think about going outside, you think about all trails and not REI or the North Face or Patagonia. Yeah. That's the level of competition we want. But, you know, we're still fortunate in that we do get a tremendous amount of traffic. I mean, 100 million people came to our website in the last 12 months. You guys use our banners, right, to convert some of those users into the app. Is that, does that work well? How do you think about that? Absolutely. No. And so that's the thing, like, how do we, you know, I think that's a strategic advantage of ours and that we're able to parlay that SEO strength, even the direct traffic too. So it's not just SEO, but people coming to the website and then, you know, using branch journeys and, you know, the, the little, the install banners, or whatever to, to bridge the gap and get folks directly into the app. And then also with our onboarding campaigns, you know, throwing a, a branch link on every CTA so we can detect your device. And if you're opening, if you're, Opening the email on your iPhone, we're going to get you into the App Store. If you're opening it on your Android phone, we're going to get you into Google Play. It's a core, core part. And be, because of this SEO strength and then the ability to bridge from web into the App Store, we're able to generate millions and millions and millions of incremental app installs that we don't have to pay for, which is a huge strategic advantage, which then feeds into the ASO algorithms, right? And so that helps us get, you know, we, we've hit number one in health and fitness multiple times in multiple countries. And so much of that is driven by this kind of web web strength, web dominance. And again, none of it would really happen without those bridges from web into the app. Cool. Awesome. That, that makes me very happy. I bet. Yeah. High five to you guys. <laughs> Virtual high five. Yeah. <laughs> so you've seen a lot of growth and it's really interesting. I was, I'm curious, how do you think about the growth of your company and culture? I think my, I did marketing at Branch, but I'm also very involved in like, scaling our culture. And I think I found it very challenging, especially when you grow really fast. Uh, and we've, when we've gone through periods where we like, you know, double in a year, it's been really challenging to grow culture. How have you thought about that? This is my favorite topic. I am so oh, glad awesome. you brought this up. I love it. Like, we can just nerd out for the rest of the time on this stuff. I think this is great. I think that the two most important things for any, any startup, any company is momentum and culture. And if you lose either of them, they are impossible to rebuild. 
right? So momentum begets momentum. Like everyone in, at home trails hears me say this all the time. We need to manufacture our own momentum. We need to fuel it. We need to fan it. We need to keep doing more faster, right? That's how we win. Same on the cultural side though. Like I made a mistake in, you know, in, in, in the past where I've lost sight of it. I've let it, I took my eye off the ball and you make a bad hire and you know, that whole chain under that hire that is then tainted. And then that feeds into this downward spiral. Right. And so after making that mistake once, it was kind of like, I will never do this again. I will never let this happen again. But it's really hard. Hiring is not like you can, it's not like a perfect science. It's not. So, you know, it's like hire fast and fire fast. That's, I think that's one of the single most important things as leaders we can do is recognize when if, if someone is not additive to the overall cultural experience or is a net negative or whatever, like we need to figure out one, can we course correct? That's always the best case scenario. Can we fix it? Can we have an intervention? Can we kind of get them aligned on our core values or not? And if it's clear or not, and, and this is what's been crazy. And this is the stuff that keeps me up at night because we are growing fast, right? Like I said earlier, we, we went into 2020 with 28 people. We doubled the company by the end of 2020. We had 56 people. We came into 2021 with, with 56 people. And now we're at like 100. So we're doubling again. And as we look at 2022... Yeah, that's, that's intense. It's intense, right? And I still do almost all of the hiring. I want to still be... I think that's one of the single best uses of my time is, again, be that culture vanguard and, and train the rest of our leadership across the org, whether they are truly in a position of leadership or, or sort of like a culture carrier to kind of embody that as well. And really, and it's tough because there's, there's pressure, you know, Man, it's like not scalable at a hundred people. <laughs> I know, but you know, I'm going to keep doing it for as long as I can, at least like for the higher level ones, anyone that's going to be a manager, oh, of, yeah, of yeah, people, right. And, and so good talent with bad culture is a bad hire. And as we are trying, you know, at, competing for engineering talent is obviously incredibly competitive, incredibly hard. And the number of like super talented engineers that we've had to turn away, it's so tough. You feel this pressure, like maybe I should just compromise. Maybe I should just, just this once, just, but you realize you, you can't do that. That's how culture erodes underfoot. And so really holding a, a firm line on that. The, the good news is, the good news is, you know, we are a mission driven company. And so we're able to really play that, you know, to our advantage. I think. I think um, everyone who works here is is motivated by this charge of getting people outside. You know, this notion like people and communities are happier and healthier when when they spend more time outside. It's like really simple, and everyone kind of has that personal connection and that personal epiphany realization to it. And so we're able to kind of use that as an early screening part to recognize. The, you know, the people that want to be here for the mission versus the kind of, this might sound a little bit harsh, but kind of the mercenaries that are looking for a paycheck, you know, they're looking for a payday, right? Yeah. And and they could be, again, some of the most talented people in Silicon Valley. But if you're just coming to all trails for a payday, we don't want you here. You're not here for the right reason. And because we're so rigorous and we over-index on the hiring process, it's a grind getting through it. There's a lot, there's homework, you know, you're meeting with many, 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 many people cross-functionally across the whole company. But if you get through it, what's great is people don't leave. And that's one of the things I'm most proud of is that connective tissue. And that becomes a strength, right? Like that kind of peripheral, like it's like when you play a sport with the same group of people for an extended period of time, you kind of know where they're going to go. You know, like you start picking up on each other's tendencies. And it's the same thing in an office environment, a little more dorky than that. But, you know, you tend to like, you know how to play 
as a team, right? And I think that that continuity is super important to that. So we'd rather take it slow on the hiring process and really kind of grind it out, but then have everyone stick around for, for the long haul. I think that's really cool and really interesting. It's hard, but I think you're right. It is one of the most important things you can do. How did you, like, tell us a bit about your career growth. How did you get to where you are today? You know, you you made this decision to <laughs> become CEO of a company with six people at the time. Now it's a hundred. But how did you even get there? Like, what's your career path? And yeah. what do you think made you made that decision six years ago? I, okay, we'll go back. We'll go back. Okay, let's go back. Let's, let's go, go back, back to the beginnings. Yeah. So I went to UCLA in the late 90s. And I was watching Web 1.0 from afar. And it's like, I cannot wait to get out there. Like my buddy's older brothers and sisters, they're like, we're in shorts to work. And they're all sleeping on couches and eating pizza. And it doesn't matter how old you are. Like everyone had a voice. I was like, I love this. I love this. And then I graduated and I missed it because like Web 1.0 had just imploded. And I was like, oh man, I got to go get a regular job. This sucks. So I did what you know anyone who's lost <laughs> does. I went into consulting. I went to Accenture. I also, that was my first job too. So I understand. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> so, you know, you get sold on how glamorous it's going to be. You're going to fly around the country and you're going to meet with all of these. It was, the, it was such a grind. And by the end of it, I made a promise to myself that I would never, ever take a job for money again. Just life is too short. Like you can't take any of it for granted. I was yeah. miserable. I was, I was a shell of myself, you know, like the lights were dimming kind of stuff. I look around at uh, people above me. It's like, I, I don't, and not, no offense if any of them are listening, no offense, but I didn't see a model that I really wanted to pursue. There is no kind of mentorship. There's no, there's no one that I was like, I want that. There, so I didn't have a path in front of me. So I said, I got to redo this. And I'm thankfully this happened early in my career. I know plenty of people that are doing this much later in their career. So I was able to parlay that into a job at Hotwire an old travel tech company based in San Francisco. I wanted to move back home to San Francisco. And that was great. That really opened my eyes. Like, I, it wasn't a startup. It was like 160 people and it had been bought by Expedia at that point, but it still had that kind of tech vibe to it. And I loved it. And then I was very siloed. And I was just like, I, I want to do more. I need to do more. But I had no business doing more because I didn't know anything. So I thought I would go to business school. That was my big idea. I'm going to go to business school. And so I took the GMAT and I was like, all right, okay. You know, like wasn't like blowing open doors, but it wasn't shutting doors. Like, okay, I think I got a chance to do something cool here. And I started looking at the essays and then <laughs> I was like, every single school had multiple essays and they were all different. And it was just like, oh man, I went to UCLA. I'm a kid of the UC system. If, if you grew up in California, I know it's like out of state. You check boxes and you write one essay and that's it. Like... It could not have been easier. And so that was kind of my expectation with B school, which was not at all. So I started procrastinating immediately. And the procrastination actually led to Liftopia. And I thought, like, all right, you know, if nothing else, I'll have a cool, a cool experience to write about my B school essay next year. And then that became the year after and the year after. And next thing you know, like nine years later. But the big driver behind that was I wanted to go to business school to learn more stuff, to get out of my silo and really get like big picture. I think. I really, I wanted a seat at the table. I wanted a seat at the table. And I didn't really know how to get it. But you know what's better than going to business school to figure it out? It's just going out on your own and starting your own thing. Because like, there's no one else at your table anyways. 
And if you don't figure out how to do lifecycle marketing or paid acquisition or accounting, or no one's going to do it. And so you just dive in head first and you figure all this shit out at the same time. And that was like, okay, all right. You know, like that, that was really the step function for me. And I, you know, this was in 2005 when, when I started, it was, you know, a different time. It was pre, pre web 2.0 and you know, whatever. But I always felt like if, if this crashes and burns, I, I can always go back to Hotwire, maybe get a better job there because I got a little bit more experience or better story to tell. I could go to B school. I could find, there was always that kind of like, I felt like I had this internal safety net. And so that, that's what really opened my eyes. Like, you know what? Like, this is what's for me. This is what's for me. And then after Liftopia ran its course, you know, it, a, it took six months off, a very intentional six months off to figure out, am I a serial entrepreneur or not? And I couldn't tell if it was like an internal pressure or an external pressure. And I went and I kicked the tires on a bunch of, in hindsight, really bad ideas. And, and it was a question like, am I willing to put my family through this again? Because that's the thing with, with starting a company. You know this. Like, yeah. It's not just it's about lot. you. It's a, lot. it's a lot. You never turn off. You never turn off. You're never fully present. You know, I, It would be like Friday night or Sunday morning, I'm hanging out with my family and half of me is gone, right? And it was this very real, like, do I want to do that again? Do I want to put them through that? And I said, no. And I wanted, so what, what ended up happening was Yelp was the rebound fling. Yelp was like the, the crazy girlfriend you do after a bad divorce or something. I don't know. But it's like, this is the polar opposite. I don't need to worry about, I don't need to worry about uh, payroll. I don't need to have like the weight of the world on my shoulders for a while. And it was cool. It was great. Learned a lot. And I, I love Yelp. I, I, you know, big supporter of them. But after six, eight months there, it was so, it was, there's just a lot of bureaucracy. It's slow. I like moving fast. And so that was what kind of, I was like, all right, I, I'm, I'm ready for something new. And the opportunity for all trails presented itself. And I, I jumped at it. You took it. It was a risk at the time. And it's really, you really made it happen. I think it's, it's quite impressive. Thanks. I saw, you know, we, we went, quick story, we went, to, we went to Tahoe the weekend I was like mulling over the job offer. And uh, we're in we we're in Truckee, and we had at the time two kids, two little kids. Now we have three, and we we're I was trying to use the app to find like some cool family, you know, kid friendly hikes. And there was like one trail where the trail map pin was in the middle of Donner Lake, and there was another trail where the trail map pin was at the top of Mount Rose, and it was just like, oh no, like what what is happening? This this thing is terrible. I'm going to make a huge mistake. And then I, I was like furiously Googling, trying to find kid-friendly trails. And I just, I couldn't find it. I couldn't find it anywhere. And it was kind of like this frustration and this like, it, it just turned to like, okay, if I can turn this around, if we can make this be the thing where anyone can pick it up and find whatever type of trail you need, that would be badass. That would be really, really cool. Yeah, you saw the opportunity. That's cool. Yeah. So that's what got me here. Okay, so before we go into like the fun questions at the end, I have one question. You've made some really good decisions and also you made it happen, right? It's not like you joined all trails when they were successful, but you saw the opportunity and then you work hard to make it happen. When you think about, you know, people and their and their careers, I think this is definitely the time where a lot of people feel, you know, people call this time the great migration or something. I think a lot of people, I think a lot about like, is this a time to make a change? How should they think about their career? What advice do you have for others who are looking to grow and maybe get to where you are today, one day? 
Yeah, that's a big, that's a big I know, it's a big question. question. <laughs> it is, it is. What advice would you give to a younger version of yourself? Maybe that's a better way of framing it. I think really being honest with yourself. I always, I don't know, this is probably going to sound pretty pretty basic, but I always, you know, I always project out, like when I'm an old man, when I'm retired and looking back, like, am I going to be proud of my career? Am I going to be, did I proactively make decisions or did they kind of reactively happen to me? Right. And it's like, how much agency do I actually have over this trajectory here? And I always wanted to be in control of it. And, you know, like, even if I make mistakes, even if I, you know, get punched in the nose along the way, like, it was, it was a choice. It was due to choices I made as opposed to kind of the world happening to me. And that was, that's always been a big driver. That's always been a big driver is uh, we're here for such a short amount of time. The fact that we're even here is so random. We're, we're here for such a short amount of time. How do I feel like I'm making the most of it and what's important to me? And so kind of having these almost like personal core values, you know, and then really holding up opportunities present themselves all the time. Right. And it's like you have to be prepared to recognize when they when they do present themselves. And having that framework of like personal core values has really been indispensable for me and is what's gotten me here. And so even when, you know, something like All Trails, which like just to be honest, was like it was a mess in 2015. Like this thing was a mess and I knew it was a grind, but I also knew how much like joy and happiness and fulfillment it could get me, even in failure. The fact of just like trying to tackle that problem. And again, like, because the mission behind it is so pure, it's so clean. And I think you're right. I mean, we've seen it with hiring. We've, we've straight up had, you know, applicants from, you name the tech company. And they're just like, I don't want to use my powers for evil. <laughs> I don't want to use my powers on something I, I don't that. want my kids to use anymore. You know? And I think that there's a very real reckoning going on across tech right now, which is like, am I helping? Am I pushing the world forward? Or is like, Am I, you know, or, or are we going kind of sideways here? And I think a lot of people are, are like starting to opt out from some of the big tech companies and, and looking for things that are more aligned with their personal values and missions and goals. And I think that that's great because now, especially with remote work, like it's easier than ever to kind of break free. And it, you know, sometimes you, it's a leap of faith sometimes. Um, and that can be a scary thing, right? But this is kind of like the golden era of being able to go and kind of like find yourself and apply yourself and yeah, use your powers for something that you feel is for the greater good. Cool. Awesome. Well, it's great like to hear that. And we usually end the episode with three fun questions that get the audience to know you better. First question is if you had to delete all the apps and you could only keep one on your phone, what would you keep? Spotify. Okay, cool. Why? We're a music house. We don't watch okay, a lot of TV. It. Yeah, we always have tunes on, though. Yeah. Well, this podcast will also be on Spotify. <laughs> oh, uh, my kids listen to it. <laughs> okay, if you could build an app to talk to an animal, what would it be? My dog, because she's so weird. <laughs> we have the weirdest dog. So I don't get her. I really don't get her. How is she weird? She's a mini golden doodle. This beautiful dog. She, you know, half, yeah, she's like 30 pounds, like really nice but she's just so weird and thick i think it's the poodle side of her so none of us are we don't get her so i think it would be that i just need to like what's going through your brain why do you do the stuff that you do sally that kind of stuff so like what now i'm like really curious like what i don't know she's like there are times of day preset times a day in which you'll spend time with like different people in the family and outside of that like she will not break her habit so like right now oh wow she's in 
the office with my wife. She sits like at her, the foot of her desk, not like near her. She's not getting pet, but she sits at the foot of her desk all during the work day. And then at night, she'll only sit on me on the couch. Like if we're watching something, like she will not sit with my wife. She won't even let her pet her. And all this weird stuff, right? My kids are like, I don't get it. Why doesn't she play with us? She's set in her habits. Oh, she's very set. But she's only like six. She's not even like an old lady. So, anyways, my dog. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to better under, understand what's going through her head. And uh, what's one unlikely app we'd find on your phone? Honestly, I don't even have that many apps. You know, I don't know. This it's not that unlikely. My, run it. We have three kids. Running a, my wife works full time. Like it's hard. So there's. Any list is this app that's like kind of been indispensable. My wife actually, you know, the the bottom four apps that you have. She actually keeps this like list keeping app and like her bottom oh, cool. four. I know. So that's like it's in a, a a place of prominence on my phone too. And again, like no one who knows me thinks I'm that organized, but there we are. Cool. Well, this was awesome. I feel I learned a lot both about you, about old trails, your growth. Thank you for sharing so much with us. And it's been really cool having you with us today. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please leave a review wherever you listen to this and share with someone trying to grow their career. Until next time, keep growing. Keep growing.